You're listening to the Sojourn Montrose podcast. For more sermons and content, visit sojournmontrose.org. crazy. Um, if you don't know me, my name is Reed. Uh, Reed Squires. I'm one of the pastors here at Sojourn Montrose. My role is um, pastor of operations and admin, which means primarily I work with our facilities, uh, our people, our volunteers, and our finances. Um, but that's what I do as a staff person. As a pastor here, I um, I am involved in laboring with Marshall to, to care and shepherd for our people. So that's why I get up here every once in a while um, to talk about what God is doing and what God is calling us to do. And so um, we are wrapping up a four-week series through Proverbs. And we're not, uh, we're not holistically doing Proverbs, but we're kind of, we picked four topics uh, to do. And we did the same thing last year um, because we know that we're, a younger congregation in general. And because of that, we need to go to the book of wisdom, the whole Bible, but also the specific book of wisdom, Proverbs, one of them, um, to hear what God has to say uh, as far as being wise is concerned and what God has to say about our lives. So that's why we do that um, annually. I think we'll probably do it again next year, just as a heads up in the summer. Um, so this year, we started in June talking about Proverbs. We started with gentleness. That was our first uh, sermon was on gentleness and really learned what God had to say about being gentle with one another and how God is gentle with us. And then we talked about justice, right? Like what, what our culture believes about justice and what God says about what we have to champion in our culture as far as justice is concerned. And then finally, last week, we talked about discipline, which is... Uh, kind of misconstrued as a dirty word, but we redeemed the word by looking at what God says in his wisdom about uh, about discipline, how it can be for our good, um, and how he loves us and is gentle to us through discipline. And now we're on riches, right? And so I think riches is a good place to end um, because it's kind of, uh, it, it incorporates all three, right? So God's gentleness to us um, is manifested in, uh, in giving us the Holy Spirit that makes us generous, right? That's a gentle thing that God does because he knows that greed um, and money can, can really harm us. And then God, a lot of times, enacts his justice through our finance. So he, he causes us to, to feel compelled to give to poor, the needy, and to justice issues to enact his justice. And then finally, discipline um, one of the ways God, I think, lovingly disciplines us is by compelling us to rethink about how we spend our money. Um, so I think riches is a good place to end for a lot of reasons. So let me pray for us first, and then we'll, we'll jump into this. Father God, thank you for this morning. Thank you for the wisdom literature of the Proverbs. Thank you for the gospel and its wisdom. Thank you for the Bible and its wisdom, Lord. We know that um, that you speak to us, but Lord, that doesn't have to be um, some sort of out-of-body experience, that we can go to the wellspring of your word, open up the Bible at any point, and hear you directly talking to us. Um, so Lord, will we go to it more? 
Would you cause us to be a people who seek your wisdom in the words that you have written to us? Lord, we, we ask for your grace this morning as we tackle an uncomfortable topic. Would you make it comfortable for us? Would you be gracious with us like we know you have and like we'll, we will discover that you have? Um, Lord, we love you. We trust you with this and all things. In your holy name we pray. Amen. So why do I always preach about money? Right? I don't really always preach about money. Um, but I really like to preach about money. Uh, so it, to, to quell all the rumors, it's, it's kind of self-inflicted. Like I'm, when, when we look at the sermon calendar and money's on there, I am always like, yeah, I want, put me in coach. Um, but the reason we talk about money a lot, and I talk about money a lot, is because the Bible talks about wealth and riches a whole, whole lot. And Jesus talks about it almost more than anything else that he talks about. So we talk about money a lot because we want to be faithful to what the Bible talks a lot about and what Jesus talks a lot about, right? But I think for me, on a personal level, um, uh, the allure of wealth is a personal struggle, right? So that, that's why I wade into these waters often. Um, I have to pray and confess and repent um, and journal to God often about my struggle with consumerism and greed. And I think that plays into a lot of why I like to talk about it and why I want to study it. Right? So we did um, a budgeting class in the spring, and um, I, I've kind of gotten to walk and, and wade into the waters of Scripture surrounding wealth and riches and money. Um, and God has been showing me through the beauty of those scriptures what he thinks about, about wealth and riches here on earth and in heaven. Um, and at the risk of being dramatic, this is the warning that God has for us. Greed, materialism, consumerism, these things are going to kill us. I know that's dramatic, but these things are lying to us and they're seeking to kill and destroy us, right? Greed is one of the most terrifying sins, mainly because we don't think it applies to us, right? In, in our context, we think about greedy people, and we think about CEOs of Enron, right? Or maybe that, like, you don't remember any of Enron stuff, or maybe you weren't alive yet, Um so maybe we think of like greed and we think of large corporations that like kill baby seals and make a ton of profit, right? We think of those CEOs when we think about greed. And it's because in our context, none of us thinks that we're wealthy, right? But the wisdom of Proverbs and of God gives us another way, right? A way to fight our tendency towards greed. God knows this and he warns us about it in his Proverbs, so as we talk about it, God invites us to step out of our identity as consumers and materialists and greedy people and step into our identity as, as honest and truthful co-heirs of the kingdom of God, the kingdom of everything. So we talk a lot about money and riches because God talks a lot about money and riches. And because sin has corrupted what God intended for good, right? Money is, is not bad. Paul says the love of money is bad, is evil. But we can redeem it. 
And the Proverbs gives us the wisdom to do so. Make no mistake, we have riches. So this wisdom is for us. We need this. So let's read, let's read this proverb again. It says this uh, in Proverbs 11, verse 24. One gives freely, yet grows all the richer. Another withholds what he should give and only suffers want. Whoever brings blessing will be enriched, and one who waters himself will be watered. So if I was going to summarize this quickly, I would say this says to be generous. This says to be generous. But I think this, this proverb is answering a question that we haven't asked, which is how do we break the power of money and possessions over us? How do we break the power of money and possessions over us? And that question spurs two more questions. How and do money and possessions have power over us? Like, do they? How do they? And why do they have power over us? So I, I propose that the opposite of generosity is greed. I think that's a, a simple, I'm probably not the first person to propose that. Um, the generosity in this passage, the opposite of that, I think, is greed. And so to figure out how money has power over us, I think we should, um, we should figure out how we struggle with greed, right? So let's see what Jesus says as as the wisdom of God, let's see what Jesus says about greed and, and wealth in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 6. He says this in verse 19, do not lay up for yourself treasures in heaven where moth and rust destroy, where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourself treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And then continuing in verse 22, he says this, the eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. And then the light in you is darkness. How great is the darkness. And continuing, he finally says, no one can serve two masters. He either will hate one and love the other, or he'll be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. So this is, the Sermon on the Mount is Jesus' sermon on multiple topics of life. It's very much a wisdom sermon, right? He's warning and giving people guidelines for how to live, just like the Proverbs warn and give us guidelines on how to live. And uh, this specific section is on money and riches, right? But if you noticed where I kind of said, and then 20, verse 22 says this, in verse 22 and 23, we have this weird almost sidestep metaphor about the eye and the body. And so the question is, is that related to the rest of this on giving and being generous and being greedy? And the answer is yes. Right? He, he's saying, if your eye is healthy, your body will be full of light. If your eye is unhealthy, your body will be full of darkness. He's giving us wisdom into the manifestation of greed. This is how greed acts to us, right? He says, Materialism and, and consumerism and greed, they act to blind us. So if your eye is healthy, when it comes to these things, storing up treasures in heaven and not on earth, if your eye is healthy, then your body will follow suit. You'll get it. But if you're struggling here, your eye will be dark. Your body will follow suit. So Jesus says, 
we're blind to this sin because when we struggle with it, when we struggle with greed, our eyes go dark, right? Like, if you're like me, you probably haven't said that, I, that you struggle with greed, right? Some of us in the room have already resolved that this sermon isn't about us because we don't struggle with greed. But Jesus says, hold on, that's what greed does. Greed blinds us. When we resolve that we don't struggle with it, that's when we're struggling with it. It's winning. It's killing us. It's blinding us to itself. So, quick aside, we are in a giving campaign, and I do oversee our finances at Sojourn, but don't assume that I'm talking about money because I need our income to increase. Right? God has always and will always provide for this congregation exactly what we need. That doesn't scare me. But, but as one of your pastors, this warning for Jesus does scare me. Right? I really do believe that if we, don't, if we stop talking about greed, then it's going to beat us. If we talked about money as much as Jesus talks about money, then we would talk about money every other Sunday and nobody would come to this church anymore. But the reality is that Jesus knows how greed manifests. It deceives us. And so in my personal struggle with this, um, I sp- I'm a spender, right? I, my tendency is to spend, not to be generous, not to give. So I personally have to work hard and talk to people, talk to God, pray about this, spend time with me and my wife, Micah, talking about being more generous than we think we possibly could be. Because this conversation can never end for me. If it does, I'm dying. The conversation isn't over for us when it comes to materialism or consumerism or greed. It can't be. Jesus says, When we stop, we're blind, and our bodies become dark. So so again, if you're thinking right now, greed doesn't affect me, look, it does. You are struggling with it. Greed isn't like like adultery or drunkenness, right? Like, you you can't, drunkenness doesn't creep up on you. You make a conscious decision to ignore what the Bible says, and the next morning you definitely feel it. Adultery doesn't sneak up on you. You're making conscious, there's decisions that are made along the path, and then you're in it. But greed creeps, right? It, it gets, it, it's a darkness shadow that, that envelops us. That's why we see, we see and hear stories of Enron CEOs that, that are cashing out stock with illegal insider trading for $200 million dollars. We hear those stories because they didn't start out like that. But over time, more and more and more wasn't enough. So those sins like drunkenness and adultery, they, they, they're choices to ignore God and the Holy Spirit. And while greed is sometimes a choice, oftentimes it's not because of the way it manifests is a blinding thing. It's also tied with how we perceive our own wealth, right? We don't think we're rich because in Houston, there's so many more rich people than us. But statistically, that's just not true, right? We in this room are some of the richest people on the planet. 
and in the history of the world. We are the wealthiest. But looking at those more wealthy than us will only blind us to our own, our own greed. That's the business of greed. That's what it does. So money has power over us when we're holding it with a clenched fist. Right? When we think about our budgets, right? Personal budget. Um, it's, we say this at Sojourn too. Our, our organizational budget and our personal budgets are theological documents. When Jesus says where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. When you look at your budget, you'll see where your treasure is. Right? So that practically, that means this. Um, if you spend a lot on housing, you likely value shelter, AC, hopefully, comfort, but hopefully hospitality and community, you value those things too. That's a good thing. God wants us to value that. If you spend money on food, you probably first value being alive, but you also might value date nights with your wife or your husband, or you value uh, coffee with a friend to catch up and see how they're doing. Those are good things that God values, right? But as we go down the list, what will start to take shape in our personal budgets is where our treasure is based on what we spend on, what we save, and where we give. It's a great, great test to expose where money has power over us. And if you don't have a budget, that is your theological statement, right? You're saying, without any plan for the money that God gives me, the grace and materials that God had given me, I have no plan for. So your, your stewardship of God's money is unchecked. And that, not all the time, but likely that means you're overspending if you don't have a budget. And worse, you're blind to how you're overspending. And your greed has manifested in apathy. Right? So I'm like, I'm a budgeting guy. I love to budget. But for some of us, that's a discipline. Like, we ha if, if you look at it as, as a theological docu document of where your heart lies, then you're going to steward God's resources better and you're going to know where your blind spots are. And greed will not darken you anymore, but it will be illuminated. When we begin to open our hands with our own money, right, that is when we know that money stops, to con stops its control of us. It's like, it's like drug addiction, right? The mark of a drug addict is their inability to give up the drug. They hold it. So when we feel like we can't open our hands with anything in this world to God, especially money, where I think is our biggest cultural blind spot, then we know we've got a problem. So money has power over us by making us greedy and simultaneously blinding us to our own greed, which is why it's a terrifying sin. So now that we understand how greed is manifesting in our lives and how money can have power over us, we should look into why. Why is this the case, right? Why do money and possessions and material, why do those things have power over us when we don't want that? First, I think we already kind of unpacked it, but culturally, this is our blind spot. This is our temptation. Again, richest people on the planet in the history of the planet right here. But as a nation excuse me, there's a simultaneous um, narrative that 
that wealth isn't it, right? Like there's depression and anxiety more than any other country. So we're more anxious and depressed and drug addicted than everybody else, but we've got more money than everybody else. So money hasn't filled any of the holes in our soul. And so we talk about them fairly often at Sojourn, but there's four root idols that that humans struggle with. They're power, acceptance, comfort, and control. And I think deep down, our our pursuit of materialism and and to be consumers is is scratching those itches. So, um, yeah, like some people, like those CEOs that we're talking about, pursue money for power, right? It gives them more power over people. The richer you are, the more people are beneath you. Or, or some of them, and some of us probably struggle with, with money for acceptance. Like, if I have this kind of car or these kind of clothes, then, then I'll be accepted. But that is a, is a cycle that never ends, right? Because there's always people that you can spend more to be in their good graces. But I think, um, I think for us in this room, in our stage of life, for the most part, we're experiencing greed because of our idols of comfort and control. Let me, let me explain that. So if you're a spender like me, then you value spending money over saving and giving. Um, and I think often you're pursuing uh, purchases for comfort, right? So at this stage in our life, the things I get excited about spending money on and want to spend more money than I have on are things that make me comfortable here, like extra meals, extra dining out, things like that. Um, But when I do that, my tendency to spend is investing in the the present, right? When I I know that I I should invest in eternity in the kingdom by being generous, right? So I want to invest in the present, not realizing that my comfort's found in Christ, not in things right now. Now, if you're not a spender, but maybe you're a saver, right? Like maybe your thing is, I just want to save up at this time in my life. Um, I think by and large, you're motivated by control, right? So you're, again, you're not investing in the present, you're investing in the future, but you're trying to control time, right? But money doesn't stop time. And Jesus says to the rich young fool, who we only know by the name rich young fool, that sometimes our lives are required of us much sooner than we thought. And so that stockpile he had doesn't serve him in the next life. And that's how he echoes into eternity as a rich young fool. So we serve a God, though, who is in control. He's in control Uh, of the stock market, of current events, of elections, so we can open our clenched fist and relinquish our control. Greed is a manifestation of the things that our soul longs for, but only God can fill. And in his provision, he provides for us the wisdom and instruction of the Proverbs and of the words of Jesus He lets us live more comfortably than we can fathom. Safe, accepted by the all-powerful God who is in control of all things. Cool, so 
We talked about the first two questions, right? So how does greed manifest? How does money have power over us by greed and its blindness or and its, and its ability to cause us to be blind? And second, why? Because of these idols that we have, these desires, these heart desires that can only be filled by the gospel. So the question is, how do we beat greed? How do we destroy those things? And the answer is where we started in the proverb. Let's read it again. One gives freely, it grows all the richer. Another withholds what he should give and only suffers want. Whoever brings blessing will be enriched, and one who waters will himself be watered. So our greed is calmed by generosity. It's broken by generosity. When we give our money away to brothers and sisters in need, to the poor, to organizations that that serve God's justice, and absolutely to the church, we begin to expose greed and defeat it. And not according to this proverb, not only is greed defeated, but in its defeat, we're given a promise. It says that we would grow all the richer. And actually, um, the better translation there is that we would grow all the fatter, which is unhelpful in our context because of the negative connotation with that word. But the writer of this proverb is not saying, yeah, one gives freely and gets a bunch more stuff. He's saying, no, no, no. One gives freely and is sustained by the God of the universe. So much so that they, they gain, right? So we're talking about not possessions, not boats, not cars. We're talking about um, gospel sustained peace and success. Right? Success not being defined by what our world defines it as. When we look at uh, verse 25, it says, the one who waters will himself be watered, and that's more literally refreshed or sprinkled. So that when we refresh others through finances, yes, but also through the gospel, we ourselves are refreshed. Like how, how many of us have that experience where um, a friend or brother and sister in Christ who is, who is down and you preach the gospel to them and it was refreshing to their souls, but for some reason it was refreshing to your soul as well. That's what this is saying. When you water, you will be watered. That's a promise from God. Not when you spend your money elsewhere, you'll get a bunch more money. So let's zoom out quickly from riches for a second and look at the whole of the Proverbs as we kind of conclude this sermon series on Proverbs. Um, The Proverbs are not just good advice, right? They're the words of God. They show us what a, a life of success and peace looks like. And really, the Proverbs being God's wisdom means that they are the wisdom of Jesus. And so they describe him, right? So when we read that he who waters will himself be watered, we can think to John 4 when Jesus meets the woman at the well and says this in verse 10, if you knew the gift of God and who it is saying to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. The woman said to him, sir, you have nothing to draw water with and the well is deep. Where do you get that living water? And Jesus says, everyone who drinks this water, pointing to the well, will be thirsty again. But 
Whoever drinks of the water I give will never be thirsty again. In him, a spring of water will well up to eternal life. That's what Jesus says. So he says, I am living water. So when we read this proverb, we know Jesus is the one who waters. Right? He gives us living water by his death on the cross. He tastes even hell in our place so that we don't have to experience what life apart from God is. So he waters us. But as the proverb said, was he watered in return? I mean, he's abandoned, rejected, denied, betrayed. And on the cross, he cries out, I thirst. Because he is the only one who experiences true lack of being watered by God in that moment. But in his death and then resurrection, he rises up conquering death. And now enthroned, right? So in the Proverbs, we hear God's wisdom for our life, yes. But so too do we see the wisdom of Jesus. And so when we talk about riches and the only one who truly gives freely, then we're talking about what Jesus does on our behalf. Right, so Jesus doesn't tithe his blood, right? He doesn't give 10% and get off the cross and say, that should be enough. He isn't greedy. He's not blind to greed. He doesn't give a percent of his heavenly riches. He leaves them and is poor material-wise on earth. Before that, he was enthroned and all-powerful in heaven. So when Paul talks to the church in Corinth about giving, he says this in uh, 2 Corinthians 8, See that you also excel in this grace of giving. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich for your sakes, he became poor, so that you through his poverty might become rich. This is crystal clear in scripture, right? This is not me making this connection through my own wit or something. This is God giving us this connection. He's telling us that, that I and Jesus had everything, but I gave it all up to come to earth and walk in humility and die alone, thirsty. So the answer to the sin of greed, going back to riches, the answer to the sin of greed is generosity. But to defeat the sin of greed, it isn't our generosity that does it. It's the infinite and abundant generosity of Christ. It's what he does and not what we can do, right? He gave up everything and came to earth and then met us where we were, but then went even lower to hell, separation from God, so we don't have to go that low. But this means that we're free. This means that as followers of Jesus, as offshoots of the true vine, as followers, we have everything. So we get to give like Jesus gave. And because Jesus sacrificed so much on our behalf, gospel giving doesn't begin until it feels like a sacrifice. Until it feels like we're really having to give something up because Jesus God in him gave up everything to do what he did on this earth. Sacrifice and scarcity is where 
gospel treasure is found. So like, like Jesus says in the Sermon on the Mount, we store up treasure elsewhere. For us, the treasure gained in being generous manifests both in the earthly realm and in the heavenly realm. On earth, we're promised that in our, in our generosity that will grow in likeness of Christ and be sustained by him. Instead of withholding what we have and feeling only wants, right? That's what the proverb says, that we'll be sustained by Jesus. And the heavenly treasure is the kingdom of God with which, of which we are co-heirs, right? It's infinitely more valuable than anything we can have on this earth. So that means we can give up the things of this world. We hold them with an open hand. In comparison to the kingdom of God, there is no comparison. Nothing compares. So practically, how do we apply this? What do we do? Um, how do we leave today acknowledging our greed and simultaneously acknowledging the ways that Jesus has been generous with us? And I think I've got five practical applications that I'll go through quickly um, as we wrap up. First, we need to start with repentance by acknowledging that we are blind to greed and we need God's help to see it. Right? If our eyes are dark, we need our eyes opened. I think that's step one. Um, step two is that when we need to understand that as we covet material items, as we want those material things, that we're seeking to fill a hole in us that can only be filled by the gospel. Right? So we're, our, our budgets and our money is free to do the things that God wants us to do. And God wants us to, to be hospitable, to have shelter and food, but also to be generous. So acknowledge that we're blind to greed and repent. Um, ask God to open our eyes. Understand that when we covet materials, we're trying to, to fill a hole in our soul that can only be filled with Jesus. Third, I think we should pray and consider our budgets as theological documents, which means for some of us, we need to create a budget, right? But pray through it, see where your money's going, and be illuminated to the blind spots in our life. Fourth, I think we should embrace radical generosity like Jesus embraced radical generosity. This means that for some of us, we need to make a plan to be generous, right? That means conversations that look like, how can we be radically generous with each other, with our things, with our money, with our time? And this is what the Holy Spirit's going to do for us. So we don't do it alone. And finally, as the fifth thing that we should do, we should remember our identities as co-heirs of the kingdom of God. That means our treasures on earth will wither and decay. And there is no comparison with our treasure in Christ as co-heirs of the kingdom of God. We have to reorient ourselves to the generosity of Christ in the gospel. So in conclusion, I, I know we are a congregation with a lot of young people, which means we need this wisdom we need this warning. Many of us hear about giving and being generous, and if you're like me, you default to your younger self, right? My younger self thinks giving and being generous is something my parents do, or, or giving and being generous is something that I will do eventually. 
We tell ourselves that we're waiting for the day to transition into generous givers. We're waiting for a future benchmark or income or life status where we finally start to be generous and give well or be generous at all. If this is true for you like it was true for me, then you're dying to greed. It's winning, and the day for your generosity is not coming. Like, the day, the magical day that we're generous all of a sudden, it's not coming. It has to be today, Jesus tells the rich young fool. It has to be today. This is how the grace of God manifests. If it doesn't, you're struggling with greed, like I have struggled with greed. Don't believe the lie that you aren't. Think about how addiction manifests. Greed manifests the same way. Jesus tells us that it does. So it's our duty as brothers and sisters to walk, um, as brothers and sisters in Christ, to walk together in this and to help each other gain insight and understanding. And the best way I can do that for you guys is to point you to the Proverbs, to point you to the words of Jesus, and to point you to the wisdom of the Bible that says, this will kill us. Don't be blind to it. Be open-handed like our God was. And ultimately, the best argument for a generous life is the one whose life we emulate and follow. The best argument is the generosity of the cross. Jesus, who had everything and gave everything, his heaven, his status, and even more so, he goes into hell and experiences separation. He does those so we don't have to. Understanding this and having the power of the Holy Spirit will make us generous. I, I'm already seeing it make us generous at this church. Right? We're generous towards our neighbors and friends. We're becoming more generous to um, causes in our city that God values. And we're becoming more generous in our church with the people in our church. And even more so, we're being more generous with our time and the, the talents that God has blessed us with. The gospel is making us givers today. But that's what, that's what the Holy Spirit does. Having the Holy Spirit means we're bold and we're watchful and we heed Jesus' warnings where we wouldn't have before. So that means that when we hear the warning of greed, we listen and we act because we're freed by the gospel to do so, not to gain anything. I want us to be marked by generosity, and I see that happening. We have the freedom of the gospel to be marked by generosity, by the power of what Jesus has done and what the Holy Spirit has come to us to do. And as we come to the table in a few moments, we remember that Jesus gave his body and his blood as a generous offering to us. And so when we take it, we should be reminded of the infinite generosity that we can't fathom and act. That in and of itself, is the greatest gift that we have. Pray with me. Father God, I, I admit that I can't 
fathom the generosity of your life, of what you gave up, of your death, alone, mocked, thirsty, betrayed. And I can't fathom your resurrection. I can't fathom what separation from God was. And by your grace, for your children in the room, we, we never will. And Lord, that is infinitely good news for us. Lord, would you make that, that apparent to us? Would you remind us this morning that your generosity has never ceased for us? And though bad things do happen sometimes to us, your generosity never ceases. That you've walked a life of sadness and sorrow. And you died a death of isolation and grief. But you rose so that we too will rise. I can't fathom it. But thank you for the Holy Spirit that allows us to start taking foolishness and seeing it as wisdom. Father, thank you for the Proverbs. Thank you for wisdom personified in Jesus. Far be it the day where we stop striving for generosity. Lord, make that never the case for me. Make it never the case for the people in this room, Lord. We, when we stop, alert us. Make us generous. And may our children's children and their children tell stories of the beautiful generosity of the people who are so impacted by your generosity. I want that for my family, Lord. For my immediate family and for these brothers and sisters as well, Lord. So would you make it so. Lord, we love you as we come to the table. Remind us of how you're generous with us. Orient us towards your gospel grace. Let us taste and see your body and blood and remember what you did. Lord, we love you. We trust you. We give this to you. In your holy name we pray.